Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this conversation is sure to be a ripper. With us today is the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, Lisa Davies, Nine's Director of News and Current Affairs, Darren Wick, the CEO of CARA, Sue Squalachi, and the Chief Sales Officer at Nine, Michael Stevenson. We're going to get straight to it. Lisa, probably to you first. COVID-related news is seeing unprecedented growth at the moment. Um, It's talked about a lot. Just give us some updates from your perspective on uh, some key stats as they stand at the moment for for audience numbers, growth, time spent, frequency, and how you're coping running a newspaper from, I'm assuming, a home office or a lounge room. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Yes, it's certainly been an extraordinary few weeks, that's for sure. Um, For the first time in the Herald's 188-year history, we put out uh, a newspaper entirely remotely. We have seen, as as I'm sure all media outlets have, an enormous uplift in readers, visitors to our site, um, across the metro business, so that's the Herald and the Age and our subsidiary sites in Brisbane Times and WA Today, we've seen something like a 45% increase in page views. Our live blog, which is it's basically running 24 hours a day, we've made it free for all readers, so that's not just subscribers. I think the record we've had, and we've had this regularly, numbers of around 1.4 million people per day getting onto that blog. Now, that's that's pretty enormous. I think during the height of the bushfire crisis, we had something like 600, 700,000. Like I say, it's extraordinary. The content is... Um, you know, it's a huge challenge. I think economic, you know, the economic news, how people's lives are being affected, everything down to, you know, how to make sure you stand up and stretch when you're working from home and get that real balance in people's lives when they're pretty restricted in movement um, is a big challenge for us commissioning-wise too. So, um, yeah, we're really trying trying our best. Uh, the newspaper um, being produced remotely is a pretty... Um, bizarre feat when you know you're trying to make decisions and particularly in the run-up to deadline really um, trying to make minor headline tweaks and those kind of things is uh, it's pretty funny when you've got to get on the phone rather than just shout across the newsroom. Uh, and so what happens there you've got all your editorial team are you on a zoom chat constantly saying bar barking orders or how does it work? We use Slack for our communications. There's a page one Slack channel. There's a page editors, like the people who are actually doing the layout. Those channels are pretty fast moving as, as we get closer to deadline. And I think mainly when something's really urgent, you just have to pick up the phone and, and hope to help the person on the other end answers because, I mean, last night we had a, a late legal question on a story and just needed to get something clear and it was sort of two minutes to deadline and it was being dealt with out of the age. It was a Pell-related story. My night editor was just, like, losing his mind because we just couldn't get a clear answer out of the age newsroom because they were on the same deadline, but we finally got it and sent... um, We got the all clear and and sent the page, which was bang on time, thank goodness. (laughs) You mentioned there about the the Pell story, non-COVID-related stories versus COVID-related how is it sitting in terms of how much you're producing for those two areas and what's the audience wanting? Are they moving between COVID and non-COVID? 
Yeah, look, we're definitely seeing um, the need for more non-COVID related news. I think a week or so ago, uh, one of the, the, the issue of Good Weekend magazine in the Saturday paper um, was, I thought, think almost entirely un COVID <laughs> and it was extremely well read and even we got a few letters from readers saying thank God for good weekend. Um, it Look we're definitely trying to find that balance. Um, it's a bit the same as the balance between good news and bad news. It's pretty hard to um, you know focus on the good when there's so much bad going on but it's really important for readers to have a sense of that and in the same way I think you know I hear a bit of frustration around oh it's all you're reporting on well it is hard because that's kind of all that's happening uh, and I've sort of actually tried to quarantine a couple of reporters into only reporting on non-COVID news whether they be good news stories or other sort of you know transport related issues or infrastructure projects you know because there are sectors where life is continuing on. Yeah Darren Wick uh, how are the numbers for you uh, on the television side news and current affairs same sort of story i imagine the audiences are going through the roof what are you seeing from your broadcast perspective yeah paul very much the same sort of story as lisa's talking about it's probably numbers which we were getting a decade ago in um, broadcast television i think the highest we had was two weeks ago on a sunday night where uh, the prime minister came out with the latest range of lockdown measures and we had something like 1.6 million nationally around there. So they're fairly big numbers, as I said. These are something we're accustomed to getting about eight, nine, ten years ago when it was a different landscape. But there's just a strong interest. The interest, we keep thinking it might fall off, especially now where we've been a similar sort of status for the last ten days or so. But the numbers are still going very strongly. There's an appetite to learn as much as people can learn about um, this disease. It's changed everything and the way we're doing everything has changed. But everyone's numbers are up. ABCs are up. Uh, sevens are up. Channel 10s are up, even SBS are getting record numbers. So it's without precedent, but I think people are, for instant news, they're either getting it online or they're turning on the television again, which is it's good news for our industry. Uh, Lisa talked about uh, the, the great challenges of uh, managing a newsroom remotely. How are you going with that on that side? Yeah, it's actually, it's actually been quite remarkable what everybody's been able to achieve. And I know Lisa was talking about they put out the entire paper with everybody from home and, and the Herald and the Age moved very quickly um, in our organisation. We, um, probably the last place we made changes was to the Sydney newsroom, which is our national headquarters, so they pump out the majority of materials for the network. Uh, all the other newsrooms around the network we divided into red and blue teams, so they alternate four days on, four days off. So if one group goes down, we've got another group ready to come in. We've done that with our magazine shows, The Current Affair and 60 Minutes, and today's show is uh, similar as well, the way we're working the staffing there. In Sydney, we just worked a different roster so that um, as few people spend time in the office. Most of the reporters we have permanently on the road and we've got them permanently matched with a camera operator so that they stick together all the time, they're in the car all the time. So it's thrown all the old rosters out the window and it's amazing some of the solutions we've been able to come up with. So the trickier thing for us has been editing, but the editors, we don't let reporters or producers into the edit suites now. We keep them quarantined and as pristine as we can. We've got a big open sort of space area floor and one of the great things I like about the job is I can walk around, I can walk over to Today's Show, walk over to a current affair, walk down to 60 Minutes, but we've stopped all of that between the different departments. So if you're in the newsroom, you work in the newsroom, uh, you come in there, but nobody else comes in there. And the same with the current affair, same with Today's Show. So everything we can sensibly do to quarantine it, we've quarantined. So. We're pretty comfortable with where we're at and it's, um, everyone's spirits are very good. 
and I think the numbers also help. When you do get good numbers, it, it lifts everyone's spirits quite a lot. Yeah, so 24-hour sort of working days feel better when the numbers look good. Um, we touched on it before, Darren, the tolerance or appetite for COVID and non-COVID. How long do you think this will go? You're not seeing any dents yet. Um, what's your sense on, on, on how long it will this interest, this public interest will, will track as we go further into it? Yeah, I'd love to think we're a, a fair chunk of the way through it, but the reality is we're not. You know, the Prime Minister's office, the Chief Medical Officer, they're sticking to the six months. Fortunately, we've had a lot of rugby league news, which has kept us busy. A lot of it, a lot of it we're the centre of attention for. We try and do something aspirational, somebody doing something really good in the community every day, whether it's related to coronavirus or it's something separate. I just think that's really important at the moment. People want to see good things are happening and know that there's, um, we're going to come out of this thing OK. We're going to get to Sue and, and Michael in a second, but the public mood behind a lot of this, these, this audience growth that both of you are seeing uh, is this public mood and, and desire for accuracy and, and trusted media. Darren, first to you, your view on, on, on social media's role uh, so far through this crisis and, and, and sort of what are your observations there? I don't know, our own area with social media, I haven't um, paid too much attention to it. And I think what we've seen is been a really big swing back to traditional and trusted um, broadcasters and mastheads. That's why the Herald and the Age are doing really well because authenticity and trust is at the core of what they do just as it is with us at Channel 9. The traditional media, traditional trusted media people are turning towards, but social, I haven't paid much attention. I don't think it's getting the traction. People want the facts and the reality of what's going on, not conspiracies. Lisa, your, your view on that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's quite interesting that social media and those conspiracies and stuff have been quite muted this crisis. And I think in some ways, maybe that's because I've basically got, you know, bar, as I said before, one or two people that sort of try to focus on non-corona news. We've got an entire newsroom writing about one story, basically. And so the, the blanket coverage has, I think, probably smothered that space that often open up, opens up for people to create all kinds of, um, you know, crazy, wacky ideas. I mean, I'm sure they still exist, but I think I couldn't agree more with what Darren said. People are turning in droves to the trusted news sources that they know of. So to both of you, how does this ingrain future behaviour towards news media as we come out of the crisis? Does this, does this change people's uh, behaviours for a long time? Are they coming, will they come back and do more? Uh, of the of mastheads and, and and news services broadcast news services uh, once we come out of this is it is it is it a long term um, behavioural change do you think I know you'd hope it we all hope that but what what's the reality uh, well, Yeah well I can only say we we desperately hope so um, I mean we've had a huge uplift in subscribers um, since we did during the bushfires and we have again in the last couple of months and we really hope that we're providing a service that people find value in and want to pay for on an ongoing basis. Um, I really think that the level of content that we're providing, the breadth and um, standard of content that we're providing um, hopefully provides you know people with that real realisation that they need this in their lives on an ongoing basis. I mean the, we've got huge challenges, um, the print media advertising and advertising generally is um, not great. <laughs> it would be an understatement, um, the environment that we're in. But if we can continue to provide this service and people see there's a need for it, hopefully that comes back and we're bigger and better than ever. Finally, Lisa, what sort of uptake in subscriptions? Uh, I'm not sure I can talk in specific numbers, but fair to say that um, March, February and March were um, some of our biggest 
like I'm talking um, uh, many hundreds and hundreds of percentage growth. Um, uh, it's 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 extraordinary, and I think we're all kind of reeling from it a bit. And the interesting part is that where we're probably being challenged, as all media comp all, all newspaper companies are, is the retail sales. So those occasional buyers of newspapers because they every day wander down to the shop and get a coffee and get a paper. That's obviously not happening. Um, so that's that's a big challenge for us. But we have seen more, a few more, very few, but a few more people wanting to get it home delivered, which is also a real endorsement of what we're doing in the print space as well. I've, I've always wanted to ask the editor of a newspaper, off the record, what do those subscription numbers look like, Lisa? <laughs> I couldn't possibly. <laughs> didn't work, didn't work. Lisa, do you think coming out of this, the, the way that the newsroom is operating now, does it change the way that the newsroom will operate when we're on the other side of COVID? Or will you go, everyone to get straight back to the floor and see people in real life? I think it shows what can be done and I think it's been really encouraging to see the resilience of the newsrooms. Um, I've been so impressed with the professionalism of everyone uh, just jumping straight in and doing what they have to do from home um, and, and carrying on regardless in a way. Um, however, I, I will say I am missing them all. <laughs> um, I'm missing those those conversations, you know, uh, just standing in the middle of the newsroom where we brainstorm a great story idea or um, just having a chat with someone you don't, you know, in the ordinary course of a day don't necessarily see, but you bump into them in the line for a coffee or, you know, in the lift or something and you have a really interesting chat about what they're up to. That's definitely harder. Um, but I think for me personally, it's made me kind of value a lot more those conversations with people and I'm trying to make time in my day to, to call one or two of the reporters just to sort of check in and see how they're going. Um, because that, you know, the mental health side of this isolation is also going to be problematic across the board, but I obviously want my team, as I'm sure everyone does, to, to stay as um, upbeat and positive and, and hardworking as possible. Darren, does the way that you do news and how your team operates, does it change or you get back to what you were doing before as soon as you can? Certainly there's a real technology shift and a switch for us. You see it particularly with, say for example, the Today Show, they're doing so many interviews via Skype now, nationally, internationally, locally. They're good quality. The video conferencing that we're doing now, it's good quality. So there's no reason we have to go spend $1,000 on a studio in London and then uh, additional money for talent or whatever. We just Skype straight to their home and it's much more convenient for everybody. So I think this is going to be much more of the normal way of doing business. The same for news, rather than gathering and getting a crew to drive halfway across Sydney or Melbourne to go and get an interview, if that person's connected with a laptop or um, you know, a mobile phone, we'll just pick that up as a Skype interview. So there's cost uh, factors there, there's huge sav savings to be done. And because in this period everybody's going to be doing it, it's going to be second nature to people, it's a quantum leap for us, it makes sense. So. You know, again, I just see opportunities to save money there and uh, possibly do things a lot quicker than what we might have traditionally done them. Michael Stevenson, we've heard from the people that create the audiences that help you sell some stuff. There are wild fluctuations in the ad market at the moment uh, for the June quarter, declines anywhere between 20 to 40 percent and, and privately some some media buyers, um, Sue's not one of them, but some of them are sort of talking certainly up uh, 40 plus and we'll, we'll hear from her, her view in a moment. But give us your hunch on the state of the market, what it's looking like now for the June quarter and we'll drill down on a few other things in a minute. It is definitely having significant impact. You mentioned um, a range of somewhere between 20 and, and 40 percent. Um, I think that is the range and I think it varies depending on the channel that you're in, the channel that you're operating in. Um, or where your business is in its particular cycle. 
Um, if I think about television, I think television is probably in the middle of that range somewhere. Um, of course, for for us at Nine, the the NRL impact has um, or has impacted that revenue in that in the June quarter. Um, if you're in radio, there's been an impact because of the, I guess, the hyper localization and the the retail based nature of of radio advertising. Um, publishing, I think, is faring a little bit better. Um, you've seen, if you've been reading the Sydney Morning Herald or the Age or the Financial Review, um, full page advertising being taken by supermarkets and financial services organisations. And those brands um, with a need and requirement to, to communicate quickly in a trusted environment. And of course, they're turning to, they're turning to those mastheads that we've trusted for, as Lisa pointed out, 188 years. Let me get to the print bit just for a moment, uh, Michael, because it is analogue and it's sort of what most people don't expect. Print is actually seeing some, it's offsetting some of the, the terrible declines you've probably seen in travel and leisure and airlines. There is a bit of offset happening there in print. Is that right? Yeah, I think uh, our print revenue line was the first revenue line that we saw an impact. Of course, travel and, um, <clears throat> and luxury goods were impacted quite quickly. So we saw sort of in the last week or two of March an impact there, but a recovery um, through, uh, through the early weeks of April um, in, like I said, financial services and some retail-based advertising, in particular, those brands that want to uh, make big statements and communicate key messages. So that's been really interesting to see. At the same time, from a digital perspective, um, unprecedented um, consumption of our content online. And of course, we've seen a dramatic increase in the consumption of video on demand, um, specifically through Nine Now and Stan. So in our business, um, you know, we're very diversified in terms of the assets that we have. We're very diversified in terms of our revenue profile. So it does change depending on which lens you're looking at it through. Um, but as I mentioned, your range of 20 to 40%, I suspect, is, is the ballpark depending on your asset classification and the, the part of the cycle that you're in. Michael, on that digital front, and it, it goes to both Lisa and, and Darren's areas, is in the advertising market, there's been a lot of debate around blacklisting of COVID news-related content. It's got a heightened last week where, you know, the, the, the digital advertising industry came out and asked advertisers to really reconsider these blacklists, which basically say we don't want any ads around news-related content, despite audiences going through the roof. Is there any signs that this is changing now? Are you getting any signals uh, from the market that they're, they're being more, more open to that? Or where is it at? You know, well, as an avid listener of your MI3 podcast, obviously, Paul, um, I listened to the, the podcast last week um, and Christian Kroon's comments, which I wholeheartedly agree with. You know, I think there will be a number of brands that will not want to be an advertiser around, around the COVID-19 content, and that'll be, you know, their, their own choice to make. At the same time, I think there'll be brands that probably, without knowing it, are not being, are not advertising around that content because some of the words that potentially that they've blacklisted will preclude them from being in and around the content that we're creating or that consumers are engaging with in such great numbers. But I, I really think at the end of the day, it's all around um, the tonality um, and the context. And we've always got to look at advertising through those two lens. What is the tone of your advertising? What type of message are you trying to communicate? And are you communicating that message in an environment where consumers are engaged, deeply engaged and open to the message that you have? I think if you can get that right, then advertising in and around the news content that we're currently creating whether that's in broadcast, television, radio, digital, or publishing can be highly effective.
Sue Squillace, I might pull you in on this one because you have some thoughts around the ads, the placement of ads around uh, COVID-related news content. Uh, you've been working through it with, with a bunch of your clients. Uh, I should point out that uh, a couple of them are uh, Woolies and BWS, which are probably faring a little better than, than many. Uh, so you, you've, you'll be quite active in, in terms of uh, your media strategy. But on that COVID-19 bans around news, news content, what's going on there from your perspective? Um, I think, you know, it's case by case and client by client. But, you know, I think what we want to do is what we're looking at is what Lisa said before. It's a real balance. Like you, this isn't something going away and consumers are turning to news and they're turning to it online. They turn into it in the newspaper and on TV. So they are going to want to be around it. So it's just applying for us a layer of sensitivity around the message and making sure that that message is appropriate for where the ad is appearing. Um, and then balancing that with the rest of, you know, what consumers are looking for is, you know, content outside of COVID. So I think it's a bit of both. But I think the first thing our clients all did was look at their creative and make sure that it's the right product and the right message. And that's particularly important around COVID, which isn't going to go away. Um, and people are looking for that content. So you advocating for placement around news content around COVID or what's the conversation there? It's a, it's a, combi it's a combination of both. So I'm not saying for and against. I'm saying it, it, if you've got the right message and it's appropriate, then absolutely you should and can be around that content. It shouldn't harm your brand, you know, and clients are choosing to be in those channels where it's all about news because that's what consumers are looking for. The whole notion of, of trusted trusted media, Sue, does that play, does that come into play at all in terms of the current environment? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen clients wanting to be in trusted media channels, um, more of the traditional media channels, um, which are safer to be around that type of content. Uh, we heard from Michael that the 20 to 40% is, um, is somewhere in there, depending on the channel. What are you seeing for this June quarter? How is the impact? Yeah, agree with Michael, agree with, you know, it's between 20 and 40 and it's really channel dependent. I mean, I think obviously out of home would be on the higher end of that scale and they've, you know, been the channel outside of cinema to be, you know, hurt probably and significantly impacted the most, you know, we're all at home and restricted so um and then obviously from a volume the tv guys would you know that that's where the volume was so even if it is more closer to the to the mid-range that's still going to be a big shift um but what we're what we're seeing is clients just shifting their media so they aren't necessarily cutting it they're shifting between channels depending on what has happened to their business or where their consumers are now you know, consuming media. The big channel mix is the big change in channel mix for you. So if we have a lot of retail clients. So what we have seen is a big channel mix, um, NFMCG and CPG clients, big channel mix away from broadcast um, in the short term. This is only short term and into digital channels. Um, and that's all around their e-com businesses, just, you know, double digit growth in a matter of weeks. And that's where, you know, our teams have spent a lot of time in guiding our clients onto, you know, how to, how to handle that from a from a uh, media mix point of view. Michael, I might pull you in on, on on the broadcast point there from Sue. She got it wrong. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I complete respect to individual brand uh, requirements and what and, and and an individual campaign and what their objectives are. However, you know, I think for a hundred years, um, share of voice has contributed um, to share of market. And, you know, I think it's, I would um, be very wary if I was a brand marketer or a business leader to move money out of uh, proven media channels like 
television, like radio, like publishing, where we're seeing these huge um, increases in audience to be too heavily reliant upon digital channels um, or to only focus on digital channels in isolation. And of course, we are a digital business, so I come from a very balanced perspective, but I think there is this <clears throat> enormous opportunity for brands to take advantage, if you like, of, of the audiences that currently exist across all of these platforms. And I think we should be wary about moving too much from one to the other. Sue, what is the driving rationale for those sort of moves? So as I spoke about in the short term, it was about having the right message and the right channels for where their business was actually moving to. So it wasn't a complete, it's just a, a slight shift in channel mix. And that's what we were talking about. So 100% agree. Um, broadcast media brand has never been more important, but we have seen um, significant shifts um, into digital um, to support the e-com business. Right, and let's go there because you think there's some big, big structural changes in the ad market and how businesses just operate because of e-commerce. Talk us through that thinking. Well, from a consumer point of view, uh, many consumers haven't shopped online before. Now they are. Um, that's going to be a habit that they continue, whether it will be in the same, you know, at the same volume as it is now, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I think consumers have been forced to change their behaviour um, and some of those behaviours will stay. Online shopping, you mean? Online shopping, you know, versus at a higher share than it was in the past. As we as we see more e-commerce activity and, and, and shopping, does it have an implication for, for, for channels and media mix? Well, it will have implications, but I think it's, again, it's, it's a balance and a blend of the right brand and product messaging, um, you know, with the right... Um, you know, point of action, call to action. Does it mean more digital though? Is there more performance and uh, demand driven activity as a result of e-commerce? Uh, and does that... Yeah, we are currently seeing a, sh a, a, a larger shift to performance media at the moment. Michael, are you seeing that come through in your, in your forwards at all? Um, well, the uncertainty of the market makes looking at forwards not the most reliable uh, lens to look through right now. What I would say is this, though, is that, you know, whilst we are in very uncertain times, as communities, we will, we will come through this and things will return. Kids will go back to school. Microsoft Teams won't be the norm going forward for everything. Um, there will be this um, reset and we will look at things differently, but so many other things won't change. Um, you know, I'm excited by the, the, the opportunity for people to sort of reflect and and be more innovative and be more entrepreneurial and those types of things. But the fundamentals of marketing won't change. You still need to build a brand. Um, you still need to have top of funnel brand awareness to drive consideration and conversion. And so a movement of advertising dollars too far down to the bottom of the funnel um, is not good for, um, for brands that are a part of our day-to-day -to -day lives today, um, established brands, and it's certainly not good for those brands that are trying to establish um, you know, either new products or create new emerging categories or new e-commerce platforms and the like, as Sue was mentioning. So balance, I think Lisa mentioned, Sue also mentioned, I think is critically important. And it's at times like this, it's at times when things are changing and things are so different, um, that making sure that that balance is in check is critically important because um, moving it too far uh, one way or the other, um, I don't think is a very clever strategy. 
I will come back to Sue on that in a second, but I just want to ask Lisa and Darren. Um, we see the we saw the Feds uh, today come out with a ninety million dollar uh, thereabouts uh, media subsidy or media support package. A lot of it for regional uh, media groups. Uh, how how are you guys looking at your resource, and and will this will it make a difference? What we've seen from the federal government today, or and do we need more? There's suggestions that. Some of this, uh, the technology platforms should be um, subsidising or paying their way with uh, news with content professional content companies. Um, what does the package today look like, and 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 how is the, the the pressure on resource for you? Probably first, Lisa. Look, I think basically it's it's a good move. I mean, I, we've seen a lot of job losses already through this process. Um, we're in the process ourselves of assessing. You know, hopefully we don't have to do a huge amount, but there are some smaller operators who are really feeling the heat and I think communities really, really need their media outlets right now. Darren, if you, um, you, your thoughts on, on this, this media package and the general state of media and news and the essential service that it provides, but how sustainable yeah, look, is think, it? I think, it's a good, um, I think it's a good move. It's a good package from what I've read of it. I've only had one read through, but there's quite a few areas that applies to us. NBN, which is northern New South Wales. Um, Darwin, which is, um, it'll certainly help us with our resourcing up there and um, the regional Channel 9 news that we run through the Southern Cross network. So again, all of those areas are under pressure, all under cost pressure, and I see this as a bit of relief there because they're good, um, they're good grassroots, roots, community-based uh, news gathering operations, and it's really important that we protect them and hold on to them. So I was quite pleasantly surprised at this package coming through, so I, I think it's a good move. Uh, Michael, you have um, been quite vocal about wanting to claw back uh, some revenues from the likes of Google and, and Facebook. You said that at your upfronts late last year. How's that looking and do they need to do more? You know, as Darren mentioned, we're largely looking for a more balanced playing field when it comes to the platforms um, as we distribute our content across their platforms and look to the, look for the monetization of that. But as, yeah, as Darren mentioned, they are early days and uh, we, it was only released earlier today, so we'll spend some more time looking at it. Your counter-strike uh, on, on Google and Facebook, it's probably all very mixed up now with, uh, with, uh, with COVID, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we, we're look, we obviously look to grow our business. We've invested heavily in, in the uh, creation or the purchase of content. Most recently, of course, the NBCU and Discovery deals for, for Nine Now as we um, invest more into our on-demand platform. And as I've mentioned many times, there's over $700 million has moved out of the television world to social video. And what we are seeing now is as um, big events happen and, and consumers want uh, the truth, they turn to trusted and proven media outlets uh, like Nine, like Seven, like Ten, like SBS, like uh, Foxtel, News Corp. And um, all I'm looking for is, uh, is for advertisers to to see the benefit of advertising and moving some of their money back out of social platforms and social video into uh, platforms like television um, and video on demand, that will deliver them better business results. We've proven that and that's our continued focus. To wrap up, Michael also talked about this move to for, for companies to keep investing through a downturn and investing in brand. Are clients really thinking about that or are they so caught up in the moment that that's just, it's about survival and scrambling more than a longer term approach? No, they are definitely thinking about that. And I suppose the, the shifts that I was talking about were the, you know, quick reactions and, and the changes that they made, um, you know, in the short term. But we are definitely doing strategic work with all of our clients to see what's next and, and how brands recover um, or how they take advantage. Um, and again, balance both. 
because um, this is a great opportunity where you can do that, given that apart from COVID, everyone is consuming more and more media than we ever have in the past. So this is a time for us to be advising those clients on what they need to do, and that's what the work we're doing now. So our strategy teams have never been busier. I know it's different for each category, but what are the sort of the overall uh, themes there that they're advising clients on for this mid to long-term play? We've done a lot of work around the stages of people's um, behaviour and acceptance of COVID. So, you know, there was the sort of anxiety stage and the denial stage, and then it's kind of, you know, well, this is the new norm, so what stage is everyone in? Well, at the moment, they're all about what else can we do inside the home or around the home? So where are the opportunities for our brands there, whether it's home gyms or DIY or, you know, everyone's into gardening. I think if you look at it in a in, in the way of how people are feeling, that's where your opportunities for clients are in the marketplace. And I think we're about, we're in the sort of, you know, this is almost the new normal. It's going to be here for a while. So I think you'll see that people will start advertising again in those categories. Darren and, and Lisa won't have this problem, Michael, but um, ha, ha, in terms of content and the content slate that's coming through, production's obviously halted on a whole bunch of areas. What are some of the contingencies or what does it look like in six months' time uh, with the production slate on hold now for some of your bigger shiny floor shows and stuff that comes from overseas? What, what are you, how are you juggling that? Yeah, I mean, we're in a very fortunate position, of course. Um, we just finished Married at First Sight from a broadcast perspective. We've, uh, going into Lego Masters, um, Ninja Warriors in the can. The block is um, almost at completion, um, albeit with isolation in place at the moment. That is on that is on hold. Um, we've got the NBCU deal that we've just done. We've done the Discovery deal. We've obviously just launched a new channel in Nine Rush. Um, and of course, all of the work that Darren and his team are doing from a news perspective means we've got a, a really full slate. We can see that through until the end of the year. The only thing that, of course, isn't in our schedule is the NRL. Um, but, you know, I, I think complete credit to, to Darren and, and the team in our sports, our sports crew um, that have created the greatest. So you'll see the greatest um, Australian Open finals of all time on Saturdays. You'll see the greatest NRL finals, the greatest state of origin matches. And so we're, we're generating audiences and opportunities for advertisers in and around, in and around the, the content that we create. But at the same time, I think there's, there's so many really interesting examples of how brands are um, going on their own journey and finding their own ways to be more innovative and more creative with the campaigns that they're creating. I think there's some really interesting stuff going on there right now. I really like the Koala um, creative that's on air at the moment, a really interesting pivot to supporting uh, local businesses when they need support from all of us, but at the same time, subtly introducing the fact that Koala are now also selling furniture as opposed to mattresses. That's uh, It's smart, it's interesting. Subway and home delivery, NRMA owning news and a story around trust and a trusted partner. I think there's just really interesting ways that brands are using the environment and using content and creative to resonate with audiences. And I think those guys are going to be the ones that ultimately are, are better off as the world does return to normal because it will. And, and probably need a little bit more of Darren for a bit yet then with his, uh, with his, news, uh, with his news product, um, Michael. It's the most consistent place to advertise day in, day out, week in, week out, um, every month of the year. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, that's Darren's news, of course, but also at 7 and 10 is this consistency of, um, of news audience across all of our platforms. And... Um, it's something that we're really proud of. And of course, at nine, um, it's part of our DNA. It's 
when big things happen and consumers and communities need the need the truth and they need the real story, they turn to us. I reckon you should be a chief sales officer, Michael Stevenson. There's something in that. Sue Squilacci, uh, to wrap up, I'll ask all you in, in a sec just your final thoughts. But Michael talked about some of those changes or these moves that advertisers are making, their creative messaging. I guess this is what you're talking about. And you're seeing that with your clients now, right? They're starting to build out their new messaging regime now that they understand the environment. Absolutely. And and that's the, you know, I think you would have seen the bigger retailers, uh, you know, acting quicker in terms of, you know, what they needed to do and how they behaved uh, with their product um, through delivery or um, extending their hours. Um, but all of our brands are looking at, you know, different ways to pivot their products at the moment to suit the current situation. So the final wrap-up from all of you, Darren, uh, the next six months, more of the same for you? Or will there be some changes? What's your what's your outlook both in terms of audience and uh, the news that you're, you're delivering? I think we've got to adapt to whatever changes and challenges come our way. So... Probably in one sense, um, more of the same, but I think there's, as I said before, there's other program opportunities, other news-based programming opportunities, and we've got to jump on them because there is opportunity for our industry uh, in this. Um, but having said all that, our main job is just to, um, we're a news service. We've got to report the facts and we've got to put that balanced analysis and everything. But yeah, there's opportunities there though. It's, it's a really interesting time ahead. Lisa, the next six months, how does, it, how does it look for you both in terms of the news product that you're producing, the editorial uh, product, and what becomes in terms of the bigger picture? What's your finger in the air sense? Yeah, I just think we really need to sort of continue to do exactly what we've been doing, which is provide um, our readers and the broader community with quality, trusted journalism. Um, and as we, as we navigate these very difficult um, times and then hopefully as we move into a phase of recovery and um, the snapback as the Prime Minister keeps talking about, we can really continue to engage and um, pr provide quality content to, to those readers and hopefully an expanded readership, um, having had our content exposed to so many more people um, just through the sheer um, fascination with this story and, and, and how it's permeating every aspect of life. I really hope that um, yeah the future's the future's bright, but um, there's going to be some horrible, you know we're facing a potential uh, depression. How severe it looks, it will remain to be seen. But if we can provide that context balance and hopefully some joy and entertainment along the way too, then we'll be doing our jobs. I think. What's your most colourful moment so far through the COVID crisis, Lisa? I did ha have to laugh the other day when one of our police reporters, she was offered to do a story, um, you know, going up to the northern beaches to do a story about the surfing and people still out on the out on the beaches up on the on the north side and um, she was so excited to leave her house. She'd been asked to do the story because someone else um, with a respiratory infection had, you know, like just some respiratory concerns, had, had not really wanted to go and she was thrilled to have been asked. She said she was dancing around in her lounge room excited to to go out and cover a story. <laughs> Darren, before we let you go, any colour through this last couple oh, of months? Oh, there's lots of odd moments on the road with the cruise and everything else. Probably the most colourful thing for us at Channel 9 was uh, Dickie Wilkins um, coming down early with the um, the virus and, you know, Dickie's a one-man pandemic in so many other ways. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he did not have as much as a sniffle. Um, so he's an old rock star, Dickie. Nothing's going to kill him, but... <laughs> He's, he's clear yes. now, he's back at work. It's actually a good sign for him to get it early. And it's made people realise that hopefully if we do contract it, uh, we won't get too sick and we'll be through it uh, with our immunity built up and moving on. 
But he, yeah. Yeah, so that would have been a scramble yeah, for you. it was a mad scramble when Richard had it because that was off Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's um, uh, wife, and being in the studio. And it was very early days, so nobody really knew what to do other than, OK, let's just scramble. Whoever was working closely with Dickie, so his production team went into isolation for two weeks. So that was a lot of shuffling around, just getting other people into jobs and so forth. And off the back of that, we just moved everyone into red and blue team. So it's like anything. Once you once you get around to actually doing it and you do it fast, you just think, well, why didn't we operate this way years ago? Right. And and look, that that's a subject for a great conversation about what changes, what really changes out of this, because there will be some things. But we are, we're out of time. Sue Squilacci, uh, final thoughts the next six months. Um, crystal ball, please. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I think um, there, I don't think there is a crystal ball. Um, you know, I think. You know, as I said, everyone is looking at what's next um, and that will depend on how long this goes for, right, and, and when restrictions are lifted. So I think it's it's not th something you can sort of set in stone and, and we are hoping that, you know, we will start to see recoveries, you know, in Q3 and Q4. At the moment, your clients are preparing on that basis? They are preparing on that basis, but again, it's uncertain. Michael Stevenson, words of wisdom, what next? Well, I think business has always been uncertain. So, you know, I am the eternal optimist. Um, I think uh, government and health experts are doing an outstanding job of navigating us through this current situation. But ultimately, I do think it'll be the responsibility of uh, business leaders and the people who are responsible or the custodians of brands to ultimately return Australia back to a sense of prosperity. Um, we will reflect back on this period, I think, of, as, a, as a period of, of great change where innovation and entrepreneurialism ultimately prospered and won. And so I, I believe that brands will and advertisers will and businesses will um, think differently. They'll have a red hot go. And I think we'll emerge post at the other end of June and into the new financial year with brands thinking about things differently and, and feeling a sense of confidence that they can have a go during what they believe is uncertain times because um, there's lots of people around to support them and help them. Certainly Nine, we're one of them, but all of the other media companies are in the same boat. We need to do it together. Well, thank you. Great points from all of you. Uh, really interesting conversation. Uh, stay safe and we'll loop around in six months to see Sue Squilacci whether those advertisers are back with our friends from News. Thanks for joining, guys. Good luck. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.